try to leave, they'll have to go through us. So what do we do? Find our way to the shuttle? There are too many. Besides, I don't want to hurt them. I hate to tell you this, but they don't care. This ship is going down, and those soldiers, my brothers, are willing to die and take you and me along with them. You're a good soldier, Rex. So is every one of those men down there. They may be willing to die, but I am not the one who is going to kill them. There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge, where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and in Chicago, Illinois, is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. Yes, that is true. This is the sound of my voice. I didn't realize how much I enjoyed this last episode. I always thought that this last episode was kind of, it felt like a tag, like they didn't really bring it all to culmination, but having rewatched it three or four times uh-huh. this week in prep, uh-huh. really came to, to see some of the emotional depth that they're pulling out here. It's a really good final episode. I think I think it works really well. This episode on the surface is just one long escape scene. Yep. <laughs> it's it's uh let's get the hell out of here from beginning to end. You got any yeah. favorite movies with that premise? Shows with that premise? We just got we got we got to go. We got to get out of here. Well, I think the most obvious one but also is one of my favorite films is The Great Escape. Yes. That is the whole movie. And the, I think, I believe the escape portion of The Great Escape is like 45 minutes. So that's definitely one. In our next episode, we're going to talk quite a bit about The Great Escape because we talk about our favorite World War II <laughs> oh, movies. <laughs> that's, and that's my, that is my favorite World War II movie. My favorite escape movie is Kelly and I's movie. We actually have a movie. This is our movie. If, if you're, you know, some people have a song, we have a movie. And it is quick change. I have no idea why that is not considered a comedy classic, but it I, I find that movie phenomenal. It's got some quintessential Bill Murray in it. Yeah. In the same way that when you think of classic Bill Murray films, you think of Groundhog Day and What About Bob and of course Ghostbusters and, and the the things that Bill Murray was known for doing really, really well in the, the late 90s, that movie's got all of them. It's true. The, the, the kind of silly screwball stuff, but also the sort of sarcastic, wise-ass, fast-talking, backwards, out of tricky situations. It's a really good heist yeah. movie. Stumble into a uh, mobster den and talk your way out of it, Bill Murray. That's a great Bill Murray. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's it's perfect. F- Clowns welcome. <laughs> Clowns welcome. <laughs> My favorite line <laughs> in that movie is uh, he's robbing a bank. The cop calls. Murray picks up the phone. The, the cop oh, starts yeah. yelling at him. And Murray just says, You know, I was in numb with a jerk like you. Oh, boy. <laughs> and just cuts <laughs> through all of the trash and then okay let's get down to business <laughs> yeah it just makes me laugh great and with gina davis gina right davis. i mean that's it's a it's 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 a great cast and uh randy quaid but don't let that stop you from watching it <laughs> this is true the, no there there are so many great character actors actually in that movie 
I mean, it's just this oh, uh, yeah. massive ensemble piece with, with those three trying to navigate how do we get out of New York with a few million dollars. And you don't know how he's going to get out of that bank. Yeah. And that's that's the that escape part of it is it, it, like if you took the comedy out of it, that would be a killer just escape film. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's the movie Inside Man if it was significantly shorter and more enjoyable to watch. <laughs> well, this is the last episode of The Clone Wars. I got a chance to watch a bunch of the interviews with Filoni and some others talking about this. And there's real emotion behind, no, this was the end of the thing we were doing. They're clearly going to be creating the Bad Batch, which is using the same animation style. But I think this is really the the end to something that a lot of these people put in, you know, a decade of their life. Yep. Uh, you got any favorite last episodes, final episodes of TV shows? You know, I just watched, I'd put it off for about a year because I didn't want it to be over. I just watched the final episode. Well, I just watched the whole final season and recently did the final episode of Shit's Creek. Yeah. And just just wept from pretty much the entire thing. And and I and I think maybe that Yeah. In the last several years that and the good place are the la- the, the the final episode of the last season of the good place and the final episode of season 6 of of Shit's Creek. I think those are the best written, best performed, best shot, phenomenal ending of television shows I've seen in a long time. Funny thing I asked my wife about that just before we got on the air and she said Shit's Creek and the Good Place, <laughs> which because she was well, funny. She and I were just talking about the ending of the Good Place because I watched it again and I was like, "Oh man, I forgot about how much." She's like, "I'm not. I'm never watching it again." <laughs> I couldn't tell you anything about it. I just remember how emotionally moved I was watching it, and it was the end of Frasier. I just remember being crushed by. All those characters, how much they cared for each other. It feels like the end of The Office, like some of those those characters. They just loved each other so much, and you have to wrap it up, and I just remember being so moved. And with those shows that are on for years and years and years, not only do you grow to love yeah. them over, especially with Frasier, it was on for like 13 years. You grow to love all those people. You know they've all grown to love yeah. each other. Uh, I think like the Mary Tyler Moore show, the ending of that is is yeah. not one of my yeah, favorites. All it's very good though, where they yeah. all hug and then as a as a group all move over to the to the one box of Kleenex. Like that's right. what I think of just <laughs> beautiful endings to to TV shows. R.I.P. Carl Reiner, who I already deeply miss. Uh, one oh, of the God. 2020 yeah. casualties, but like, I just, I'm always, I'm reminded so often recently of how much great work he did, especially watching WandaVision of all things. <laughs> I'm reminded of how great Carl Reiner is. One of my favorite things about Carl Reiner, of which there are, like, I, I could talk for the next hour about Carl Reiner and the work he's done and what, what that means, not only to me, but to like comedy in general, but that's not what people are here for. <laughs> but I, I will say Carl Reiner is responsible for casting Mary Tyler Moore as Laura Petrie on the Dick Van Dyke yeah. show. They, they, they were thinking about going a different direction and they couldn't find anybody for a long time. And then she came in and auditioned and he stopped her in the middle of the audition, put his hand on the, like the back of her head and was like, you need to come with me and literally marched her into an office that Dick Van Dyke and a bunch of other people were in and was like, it's her. <laughs> it's gotta be her. <laughs> If it's not her, we're not doing the show. So, so had had Carl Reiner not said this is the lady yeah. for the show because she's hilarious, we would not have had that. We would not have had the Mary Tyler Moore show or any of these other brilliant, brilliant things. That's that's a good story, right? 
writer on uh, Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows, along with Mel Brooks and yeah, Car- uh, um, oh man, I'm losing theater cred. I'm forgetting his name. Neil Simon. There yeah. it is. All those guys. It's that's that's insane. Woody Allen. <clears throat> not, again, don't let that stop you from watching it. <laughs> I mean, he's certainly on the Mount Rushmore of American comedy. I mean, next to people like Mark Twain, he is in that canon of conversation for sure I think he's one of the like 13 people who has the mark twain prize for american yeah. comedy uh, according to one website that showed the difference between the popularity of a show and the enthusiasm of it toward its last episode breaking bad was the highest rated last episode of television and game of thrones was the worst <laughs> Both in ratings and in actual uh, product that delivery. Was, I think that's essentially where they were going. Bre- Breaking Bad was phenomenal, and I watched the I watched uh, El Camino. Did you uh, Did you see El Camino? I didn't. I heard such like funky reviews of it from people that I knew and respected. Yeah. I was like, I might did, just let. Did the you show... actually make it through Breaking Bad? That that is a that's a show I'm never going to do a yeah, rewatch right? of. It's perfect writing, perfect casting, perfect everything about it is perfect. Mm-hmm. I just I don't want to ever put my put my my soul through that again. I listened to a Harvard scholar talking about how in 400 years Breaking Bad will still be viewed, watched, consumed. That he was a Shakespeare scholar. <laughs> He's like, that's how good it yeah. is. No, it'll be it'll be the Vince Gilligan and the stuff that he creates will be taught in you know writing writing classes yep. at the collegiate level. For forever. Well, on your recommendation, and in the same vein, I'm going through slowly going through Godfather Part Two. Oh, yeah. And same same sort of trajectory towards just consistently making bad choices that <laughs> move you further and further into Dante's circles. Yep. No, exactly. <laughs> I saw the. Uh, I, I was. I went to the grocery store the other day, and they they had the recut version of Godfather Three. Uh-huh. Oh, you saw that? Yeah. And I almost picked Dakota. it up, but then I was like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> Nah. I need to get online yeah. and, and look up the reviews on that. Same. I just don't like Al Pacino that much. <laughs> like I, I really like that's <laughs> it's a bold statement because he's like one of the best actors in the world, but he just, I, uh, he's just not my favorite. But he's got a great ass. <laughs> for for the listeners who can't see it, I'm playing the Hank Azaria part of that scene. Just wide eyed <laughs> shock. Uh, well, speaking of uh, Star Wars. <laughs> Why was Al Pacino never in Star Wars? You want to get into this? Let's do it. This episode, season seven, episode 12, it starts again with the Lucasfilm limited logo from the 70s in that green, and it fades to red, and the Clone Wars logo appears. We hear, for the first time at the beginning, a vocal choir. And that's not a good sign. We're going to talk more about vocal choirs in the future and when they appear in Star Wars. But nothing good happens. This choir isn't kind of the epic choir that we hear at the beginning of Phantom Menace when Maul Maul shows up. And it's not the Emperor's theme where it's just like the vocal choir saying, this guy's really, really bad. This seems like a funeral choir. This is a, mm-hmm. you know, this is a requiem kind of feel to this song as we come in. There's almost like a foreboding, like you would see in a Greek tragedy. Yeah. Like it feels like that type of chorus that would like come in and be like, something awful is about to happen very soon. That type yep. of forward almost. It's telling you how to feel as we jump in. The logo turns from the Clone Wars lettering to part four. Victory 
and death. Takes very little time to let you know what to expect for this episode. It, you know, it's kind of great setup. Well, we pick up with a Star Destroyer traveling through hyperspace. This is the Tribunal. That name's never mentioned, but I found that helpful. Oh, that's interesting. We right? That's super interesting. So, tell me why. Tell me why you think that's interesting. Well, because the first thing it makes me think of is like a military tribunal where it's like people have died and there's kind mm-hmm. of a reverential sort of ceremonial salute, I, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm not using the correct terms, but, but it just feels very like something has ended and we are sort of yeah. acknowledging that. I should have looked up the, I love looking up the etymology of, of words. I should have looked it up, but that's what my mind went through. There's, it's, there's some sort of military court imagery in that that language and we're going to see all sorts of discussions in this episode of how should we process the events at hand smart that's one of those things where it's like these things don't come by accident you know like they're they're it's been thought through well we cut inside to clones and they are cutting away the edges of a blast door of a medical bay and inside ahsoka and rex stare at the doors rex has had his inhibitor chip removed from his head he and Ahsoka are seeking to escape the medical bay and the crews are all together. And Rex says, How are we going to get out of here? I have an idea. Which is? Just set those things to stun. We're not trying to kill anyone. I'll tell that to them. This will not be the last time they debate killing the other clones, but this is the setup. You got thoughts on this? It's another moment, and I know I've said this a lot in in episodes featuring Ahsoka, but I just feel like it's another one of those moments that speaks so much to her character. Mm-hmm. The quality of her as a as a being. It just even though these these soldiers are trying to murder her and aren't gonna think twice about it, because they're still technically people that she has known and has cared about, she's reluctant to kill yep. them. Which I just it just speaks so much to the quality of her character. That is an underlying theme throughout this episode and, th- and throughout this this arc is the humanizing of some characters and the dehumanizing of other characters and how that works. And she is just routinely that force for humanizing even the droids mm-hmm. in powerful, worthy ways. And that comes across in her nonviolent posture here. Rex says, They're almost through. Which is a line from New Hope from Leia when uh, the stormtroopers are cutting away the door and they're in front of the cavern. It also made me think of sort of a flipped version of even the Phantom Menace when they've got the blast door shut and Qui-Gon is cutting through the door and, and, and Newt Gunray and the other generals are like, they're still coming through. Like that, that, it made me think of that as well. Lots of callbacks in this episode, which one thing actually as I was going through The Godfather, that's one of the things that you see routinely in The Godfather. Like the structure of the two movies real has some real parallels and similarities. Oh, yeah. Some of the lines are paralleled. Some of the movements, they rhyme, but they're off rhymes. As we said in the past, George Lucas helped with some of those fa- films and was a friend of Coppola's. Which is all the green screen in The Godfather <laughs> 3. It's why it doesn't work. It's just, come on. Just way too much CGI there. And the one scene where Diane Keaton turns around and she's got a hairbrush. Like, why would she have a hairbrush? <laughs> More puppetry. Lasoka <laughs> well, says to Rex, Wait. Wait. No! And she force pushes the door open and flings it out. And it hits a handful of the clones outside. 
And Rex begins firing his pistols, which are set for stun, and we see the blue circles. This is only the second time in all of Star Wars we've seen blasters set for stun. What's the first one? It's at the. It's one of the very first scenes of all of Star Wars. There's one set for stun. When Leia gets shot in the back, in New Hope. Oh yeah. Uh, God. That's otherwise, right. it's just it doesn't happen. And but here it is, and and Rex starts un- unloading those circles. Anyway, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna say that door flying out and sla- smashing into people definitely killed yeah. some people. So I do find a little <laughs> bit of irony. Like, let's not hurt anybody, and then you throw the heaviest metal door in the world at like eight dudes. <laughs> we're we're like, that did some serious you're damage. Assu- assuming that armor is really tough. I don't think it is. <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, firing starts occurring. Uh, the clones start firing back. Ahsoka is fending off the laser bolts as Rex fires from behind her. And that's going to be real common, her being defensive and Rex shooting out these stuns. And she force throws those who are too close to her uh, to the side. And she says, Our find us a path out of here. Escape pods have been destroyed. Taking a shuttle is our best bet. And that's essentially going to set up the movement of this episode. These two characters need to find a shuttle. Yep. We'll talk about this, I'm sure, over and over again, but that's what story is. It's a character who wants something and overcomes an obstacle to get it. Yep. And these are the characters that want to get to the shuttle. That's, there's going to be some obstacles. Yeah. What gets in your way of getting what you want? All of these. Let's see how this plays out. Yep. It's quick change. <laughs> Rex looks down at injured clones. Boys are having a rough time of it. I like this line. <laughs> this happens a couple times in this episode where Rex has never been on the other side fighting the clones. And no, now he's kind of like an athlete on the other side of the field and, and giving playful banter. Right. You guys are doing this well. Didn't do that so well. Let me pick you up there, Slick. Yeah, banter. That's the, that's the, that's the word I was going to say, too. Like There's definitely like a snarky banter to it. Which elevates him throughout because the other clones have become killing machines and they're just like we need to do this job this is what we're programmed to do it's terminator everybody's a terminator now yeah he still has one of the most human traits you can give characters is a sense of humor and the fact that he retains that yeah or the you know the 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 just shows that he's still he's still the guy versus just the yeah like you said the sort of killing machine programming yep of his former friends turns to ahsoka says did you hear maul also escaped he didn't escape I let him out. What? Why? Diversion. Come on. <laughs> that's one word for it. <laughs> I love that dialogue. It's great. I think that's excellent. It's just building on their fantastic relationship, their intense moments. Cut to Maul walking through the hallways. He has a clone radio on his wrist. And again, the choral voices are singing over him. On the radio, he hears. Target number one's escaped the medical bay. And then we hear Jesse on the radio. What is the status of CT-7567? Commander X is still missing in action, sir. Did he aid in tunnels escape? Unknown at present. So they're already on to it, one. And two, they are now labeling these characters targets. <laughs> target number one. Yeah. And we'll talk about target number two here in a minute. Which, and again, just it speaks into what you were saying about how they've become essentially 
terminators yeah. like it's it's there's no there's no recognition of this is somebody who we grew up alongside of in the character of Rex this is a brother that that that's totally gone yep which feels like just another casualty of order 66 mm. like it's just so catastrophic and undoes everything that existed before it happening Speaking about the last four years, <laughs> there's something about relational carnage that takes place when, you know, somebody decides they're going to throw hand grenades into the system and blow it up. And you see the explosions and you're like, oh, well, that's that's damage that's taking place. The relational damage isn't something you can see. So, you know, I wasted the last year or two of my experience of my mom and stepfather angry about political events. And I lost that time. And the loss of the relational is something that I'm just now realizing, holy cow, that was, that wasn't a very good trade. (laughs) You know, and sometimes people just decide to throw bombs into your life and screw up your relationships. And isn't that what's taking place here? It's like, there's a guy who wants to get ahead. 100%. And lo and behold, he is just just maiming lifelong relationships in the process. I think there's another scene that shows that really well later in this episode, and we'll we'll talk about that when we get to it. But yeah, it's it's that was that was one of the big things I thought of in, in th- throughout this episode. Mm. Two new clone troopers, they're shinies. They round the corner. Maul sees them, force chokes them both, lifts them off the floor, casts them aside. And then we cut to this large cavernous space with these long walkways elevated and there are many stories above the floor. And this is the hyperdrive room that controls the ability of the ship to enter light speed. And the doors at one end shift open. There's a tinge of like horror music that drops. Maul enters and he throws two guards off the side to their death. And then he begins sprinting down the walkway. And one clones, which I'll say, the hyperdrive room feels very important, and the fact that it is so easy to get into. <laughs> Did they learn nothing from Galaxy Quest? There should be like a absurd, <laughs> nonsensical series of obstacles keeping you from getting to the engine room of the ship. Whoever wrote this episode should die. Is a quote from Galaxy Quest, not me saying whoever wrote this episode should die. <laughs> It's good, it's good to know that that's uh, in there. Galaxy Quest. I love Galaxy Quest. By Grabthar's hammer, Dr. Lazarus. Don't do that. I'm not kidding. I'm sorry, sir. I was only just... Don't. It's, it's the be- it is one of my top favorite yeah. Star Trek movies. Top three Star Trek, for sure. Easily. Maul then begins sprinting down one of the walkways, and, and there's a clone sniper uh, in an elevated position. Very professional, and Kurt says... Target number two's in the hyperdrive room. Here's the thing, Daniel. If I was in a kill zone surrounded by elite snipers, <laughs> I don't think I got much of a chance. I know I don't. I might be running down, you know, that that walkway. I might I might get maybe maybe ten yards. I think I'd run in and see him and just jump off of the side. <laughs> like, oh, let's <laughs> the fall might I might survive the fall. <laughs> or not, but I don't at least, you know. This the yeah. snipers aren't even a mosquito for Maul. Maul uses the force, grabs one of the snipers, turns him towards the others who be- he begins firing on. This is actually a move we'll see Yoda do later in one of the early episodes called Ambush. 
and I, and I've said this in the past, but how much I like Fassbender's Magneto. But this is a this is something that Magneto does commonly, where he's grabbing the guns of his adversaries and turning them on each other, which is such a great way of showing a villain's power. Yeah, that that not only does he have the ability to do everything that we've already seen him do, he also has the ability to use your force against the people you yeah. care about, and you are powerless to do anything about it. It's 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 a simple but real good move. There's some Aikido logic going on there where you're using the energy yeah. of your enemy. Oh, yeah. It does show a higher degree. When you're able to do that, that just shows a high degree of skill, intelligence, and experience. Um, it's not just what's the Wolverine thing where Wolverine just goes nuts. Berserker. It's, yeah, feral berserk rage, which yeah. certainly there is definitely a time and a place for. You know, Han Solo just running down the hall shooting at people is great. There it is. But then there are times when you see something like this, it's like, oh, this is like, <laughs> there's a skill here that, that is, that is, that not a lot of people are going to be able to come up against unscathed. He certainly has a lot of courage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Malden takes this sniper and just chucks him like 30 yards in the in the air down into the shaft below and he doesn't break a sweat while doing it he's just running and maul then dodges some blaster fire gut punches a clone removing his helmet he sidekicks two deck officers to the side and then maul takes that empty helmet which falls into his hands repels a couple laser bolts then launches the helmet into a final soldier knocking him to his death all of that happens in like 15 seconds the blink of an eye it took me 10 minutes to get all the action correct on my sheet (laughs) like it's just like bang 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 bang. done having only experienced darth maul in the phantom menace i I said it in our previous episode and i think i think two prior but having only experienced darth maul in the phantom menace getting to experience this darth maul is so great because he's suddenly the formidable opponent and sith Mm-hmm. Lord, that he sort of gets set up as being that we never get to see. But in this one, he is just a, a force to be reckoned with. Pun intended that time. I mean, taking it a step further, I don't know how many other you know, presentations of power from a Jedi are more impressive than the stuff he does in this arc. It, it feels a little bit like, uh, the only thing I can think of is it feels a little bit like Luke coming in at the end of the Mandalorian. Yeah. The amount of fear and then also the amount of power that that gets put on display. It's not just wrecking havoc, though. The next thing that we're going to see is he steps into the center and just begins pulling apart the guts of the ship, uh, force lifts the console, throws it to the side, grabs hold of these enormous machines that are allowing the Star Destroyer to achieve light speed, and there's just this epic shot of him pulling those suckers apart. Disengage, it's too late! It's just another, this show does such a great job of showing people using using the force in ways we have not seen before in in this universe. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Again, in terms of the artistic side of this shot is 
they're using a lot of dark spaces and there's a ton of blue and red and sparks and lightning that's taking place and just gorgeously composed. And we go back to Maul who's causing damage and, and again, those sparks are flying and the deep reds and blues color uh, his face and another troop of clones enter realizing that there's damage and so they're sending reinforcements and they're coming down the walkway and Maul just throws one of these machines which I'm sh I'm sure is like a thousand tons into these oncoming troops who then you know perish below he then kind of raises up and the camera is from below so he looks epic and we see a force wielder with power and bad intentions and that's that that's the mall that we've wanted yeah mhm mm oh yeah dave filoni giving us giving the fans what this is not i this is not fan service by the way why why is no. this different from what we see from characters in say the rise of skywalker when they like are clearly going down the fan service road they're bringing in Lando. They're bringing in some stuff with Chewbacca. They're trying to wrap up stuff with Leia, and it's just not hitting. But this, man, you watch it, and you're just like, this just is hitting everything, and it's it doesn't feel fan service-y. Be because it's new stuff that we haven't seen before that feels like a continuation of the character, whereas I feel like with fan service, a lot of the time it's, it's like a slightly different shade of a color we've seen before. Mm -hmm. When you see these characters show up again, it's like, well, this is almost exactly like scenes we got with them originally. It's not really anything new. It's just sort of a wink at the camera of like, you remember this? Yeah. Whereas this is something we haven't seen before, but makes sense in terms of who the character of Darth Maul is. We're going to talk about this in a future episode, but it's one of those moments where we know this guy can do amazing things, but we haven't seen it yet obviously in phantom menace you're seeing this epic lightsaber battle clearly this guy's got skills what else can he do <laughs> and right and we never got to see that so i yep. uh, to, uh, i think that's the difference between fan service and a character driven scene yeah it is it's totally flows out of what they've already created and place them in worthwhile atmospheres mm-hmm it may not be obvious, but in this moment, Maul is culpable for killing almost everybody on board of the ship. <laughs> this 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 is the point where he is doing such damage it will lead to the death of of everybody in this episode who doesn't isn't able to escape. That posture of heart. He does want to escape, but he's gonna kill everybody before he leaves for no good reason. Yeah, and, other than he wants to. <laughs> and that's the exact opposite of Ahsoka's posture of heart we see the tribunal come suddenly out of hyperspace debris is surrounding it and the ship is clearly in peril and the camera turns so that we can see that the ship is going to get pulled towards this large white moon and we see rex and ahsoka and three droids running down a hallway rex says oh, i don't like the sound of that <laughs> it's very understated they burst into the hangar control room. Bang, 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 stun some officers. Ahsoka knocks one to against the wall. They have command, <laughs> and Rex says, The hangar bay doors are sealed. They got everything locked down. If they weren't trying to kill us, I'd be proud. Which is another like really great kind of moment of humor. 
I just didn't catch that the first few times I watched this, and 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 now I really appreciate it. I was like, that's a great subtle joke. It's again, you know, uh, the athlete who has their stuff together, you know, chiding his opposition across the across the field. But I also think, to a degree, right? They're they're still his brothers and his and his troops so so there is kind of a like oh they're doing you know they're doing what they're supposed to do just this time it's you know against me right good job but also image that comes to my mind is top gun where you know cruz is going up against his instructors and if his instructors give him like a eh, oh sure that was some of the best fighting i've seen right up until the part where you died (laughs) something like that which arguably is all fighting Right, right That that will be a big part of uh, of uh, perhaps the meaning of this episode, yeah. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> Ahsoka says, "R seven, start unlocking the doors on bay twelve. Jeep, prep the shuttle. Gigi, find out what happened to this ship." We need to talk about these three droids real quick. What what is the function of these droids in these episodes? I think inside of the episode, they're they're clearly sidekicks yeah i also think they kind of function as a little bit of comic relief as well Mm -hmm. i can't remember if we said this in a previous episode but ahsoka has nobody at one moment like there's nobody who's on her side and when they come to life it's like her relational heart comes alive with her connection with these droids and it's her care for these droids that actually makes us care for them and they're clearly helping and doing things that are courageous like droids often do in star wars and mm-hmm. they end up being part of her tacticianer brain of how are we going to get out of this yeah because when the, i think tj pointed this out in the last episode when when they come online when she comes across them they already know what's going on yeah and are already ready to help so i miss this the gg who is the tall black and gold droid and cheap ch33p are both stationed on the tribunal Cheap, by the way, is voiced by David Filoni. Um, he's, he's the one with the, the arms. We're going to see a droid in the future named Chopper, uh, who's part of the Rebels crew, and he is also vo- voiced by Filoni. And so anytime they have these C1 droids, Filoni, I think, steps in and says, I would love to do <laughs> the vocalization <laughs> here. <laughs> um, but R7 is actually, I didn't realize this, it's a, the purple and green droid. And this droid appears with Ahsoka elsewhere. That droid is essentially to her like R2-D2 is to Luke Skywalker. It's the the close partnership. It's it's her astromech droid who helps with her fighter. So, so this droid, R7, is actually going to appear elsewhere. And so I missed this in the last episode. When she moves into the room, she's all by herself on this ship. And then she sees a companion from her past because she hasn't seen this droid in years either. You know, she left the order. She lost her. She, she, she lost everything. She lost all her friends. She left her lightsabers. She left her droids. And it's arguable that this is one of the first moments where she really has somebody. Well, it might be an overstatement, but it's, it's one of the, another image of her having built these relationships over time that come back into her story. Absolutely. And there's that, that reunion. I don't know if there's anything worth worth saying there, aside from the fact that at the very end of the episode, and this is again something I didn't notice, all of the pieces of R7 have been reassembled underneath um, her spacecraft. R7 is going to have some damage in this episode. But before they leave, 
they have pulled out the pieces of the droid and reassembled them prior to taking off. Oh. As though, real similar to R2-D2 at the end of New Hope, he gets blown, you know, gets shot in the head. Same thing happens to R7 here. And I wonder if there's not kind of a rhyme there. Man, I, did, I missed that. I don't know how I did. Went down the internet rabbit hole on that one. Ha <laughs> <laughs> nice. We then cut to a hallway and chaos <laughs> as clones are running for safety <laughs> and um, like clearly things are wrong with the spacecraft and a door opens and we see Maul emerge. He's listening to activity on the radio on his wrist, which says... And then Jesse's voice is on the radio again. Affirmative. I want squads marshaled to position 25 and 27. Wait for my signal before proceeding. Call me then, Lieutenant. Cut back to Rex talking to Gigi. What do you mean the hyperdrive is offline? Destroyed? It, it's completely gone? The console begins to beep and Rex says, We're caught in that moon's gravitational field. R7, open the main hangar doors. And these enormous doors open up, and the music has that space peril tone that's going on. I don't know if you caught this. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the doors open up, and it's just like, what is that? Uh, a lot of uh, Star Wars music, when Lucas was first composing New Hope, he was using The Planets, I want to say is the name of the piece, but you would recognize it, and it has these kind of tones, and he handed it to John Williams and say, here, this is our edit track. Yeah. Compose something with this. If I, if I played it, I'll play a sample of it in the, for the listeners. Yeah, absolutely, that's a great idea. It's got that going on, and the seeing of these large astronomical objects, <laughs> you're in a ship flying at them. You might panic. That'd end your trip real quick, wouldn't it? <laughs> you <know>? Yep. <laughs> end your trip real quick. Yes, it would. But the, the, the ability to show size and scale, real well done here. I feel like it almost exclusive, that almost exclusively happens in films about space yeah sort of seems like uh, space stations spaceships planets are, are some of the few things that in film you can you can really show the scale of them yeah like i'm thinking of the scene it goes on for much too long but even in the first star trek when they have the the camera panning through outer space and then through that whole space station yeah it takes like 30 minutes to get through and that that could maybe use some edits, but you just you get the idea of the scale, and I feel like yeah. space films allow you to do that in ways that maybe other films based on Earth can't. Image I had was a space film, but it was on a planet. It's the wave in Interstellar that's coming. Oh yeah, you know, it's that sort of thing. It's like this thing is enormous, <laughs> big. Ahsoka realizing that they're going to crater into this moon says rightly. Well observed. It was the case they were trying to escape. Now there's a countdown. <laughs> now the clock is ticking. 
And we see the ship casting off parts and debris, and we see clones in the hallways intimidated, and yet they are still hunting, what they call them? Targets? Mm -hmm. Target one and target two? Let's just give up at that <laughs> point. Like my my uh, my desire to save my own life would probably over override my uh, my dedication to the job in a situation like that, but hey. We brought up Captain Ahab, I think, in this arc, didn't we? We did. There's yeah. something about the I'm going to enact revenge at cost to everything else around me and even to myself. Y yeah. Um, that's not necessarily what's going on here because obviously they're programmed, but maybe that shows you how toxic the programming. Um, you know, we've used the the image of even having being possessed with these characters that they are so possessed that they will pursue their target even at their own demise. Yeah. No, I think that's a, I think that's a great comparison. <laughs> well, we see Maul silently moving through the tribunal. Lots of these cuts are similar to Obi-Wan when he was sneaking around the first Death Star. Is what That was another callback. That was like, ooh, that's tasty. Stealthily, yeah. Rex says to R7. Any luck with those doors? And the shuttle? And a door opens on a new class attack shuttle. Ahsoka looks over. There it is. It's the object of her desire. All story is a character that wants something. <laughs> and it's right there. Right. And it's so close. I think that's important, just to put a pin in this, that that's what the show creators are really trying to elevate, that this is the way they're, this is their salvation. This is the arc. The entire planet is 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 going down. Get in the arc. And that's kind of what's going on here. Oh, yeah. The doors open. They see the shuttle, and apparently these clones, so well-trained by Rex, had set up an ambush. And they begin running out, and they take position, and Rex says, They were waiting for us. Despite the fact the ship is going down, they are interested in hunting. The thing that hit me here was sometimes the White Walkers are coming for you, but you're more interested in that throne. Mm. Sometimes the planet's ecology is trash and fundamentally shifting, but your country is still still spending a trillion dollars a year on defense. Like sometimes, sometimes everything is falling apart, and you cannot pivot to looking at what's worthy. That that's the just to go back to our our Captain Ahab yeah analogy. It's the it's the blindness that obsession puts on you. You know, the the being obsessed by one thing yeah. sort of blinds you to everything else and, and, and controls your life often to detriment it. Like there's no film, novel, or television show where somebody is obsessed with something and it leads to positive results. That's exactly. <laughs> and then they got it and everything was okay. Precious. Yeah. Didn't work well for him. That's <laughs> Not at all. Guess it worked out for Tom Hanks with Meg Ryan, but in 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 you've got mail. But even that's creepy if you look at it <laughs> through a different lens. I want to bring up, remind me to talk about non-attachment. There come it comes up in this episode in a real interesting place. Okay. Jesse then steps out in front of the line of clones. One of the things that Filoni says, commenting on this episode, is that they had to do some stuff with the clones they had never had to do before, which was dehumanize them. It spent so much time and energy trying mm. to showcase the humanity of those underneath the armor that now it was the opposite problem. 
And he said, we did this with color. We did it with music. But the two things that he said were most important was their body posture and the helmets. They never take off the helmets after Order 66 unless they're the deck officers. You see their faces. And the helmets become hugely important as symbols of dehumanized men. And then the second is their body posture. And that's kind of like Terminator-ish. But Jesse walks out and he is very erect, almost not like a person would actually walk. And he pivots almost robotically to look at them. Hold your position, men. If they try to leave, they'll have to go through us. Doesn't matter that we're going to die. We're not even going to let these people escape. Yeah, we're all going to go down. <laughs> we're all going to go. That's what I want to know. What's what's the out for them? You know what I mean? Like we're, we're we have to we have to execute these people. Great. And then what? Or is or is all at this point is all that matters is doing the job. Mm-hmm. Has to be right. It's the severity of the possession. I think you were right before. It's the extremism. It's the yeah you know that's playing out here. Read Aristotle. Extreme extremism will always get you in trouble. <laughs> Precious. True. We then begin a stellar scene. Rex has his helmet on, and he is ready for battle. And Ahsoka is thinking through all their next moves. And Rex says, So what do we do? Find our way to the shuttle? There are too many. Besides, I don't want to hurt them. I hate to tell you this, but they don't care. This ship is going down, and those soldiers, my brothers, are willing to die and take you and me along with them. And then something happens, which is so tastefully done. We see Ahsoka look at Rex in his helmet, and her face suddenly changes, because she feels something, and she gets very caring. And she steps towards Rex and she puts her hands on the side of his helmet as though she were embracing his face. And she removes his helmet and underneath, Rex's eyes are spilling tears. And he shrugs slightly, ashamed at his emotions. You're a good soldier, Rex. So is every one of those men down there. They may be willing to die, but I am not the one who is going to kill them. What's going on here? What are your thoughts here? I really, I've liked this scene the the four times I've watched this episode. And watching it again this morning prior to recording this, this scene really hit mm-hmm. me. And especially with, with, with the helmet we talked about with the other characters, like it, it de- they've dehumanized them by keeping the helmets on. And it almost feels like he, Rex is trying so hard to just be in combat and not think about the relational destruction that has happened that we that we just mm-hmm. talked about with with order 66 it doesn't feel like he's he hasn't had the time and he's not allowed the time to think about what this means for him so he's if you keep the helmet on you're a soldier and it, you're not thinking about how your brothers don't now don't care about you and will kill you if they get the opportunity mm-hmm. but i like that even under the helmet, as he's saying this, when she can sense it, when she pulls it off, I mean, he's he's clearly crying. Yep. Which is a really great human moment. One of the elements of this arc that is so much more powerful the second time through, you know, if or the first time through, if you've you know if you've come to know who Rex is, 
we're going to see a scene from Rex in the future where he dips his hand in an enemy's blood and pastes it on a man's chest to show who's got authority in the situation and, and what's what. And that's the dude who's crying in this scene, you know? Oh uh, yeah, it just it, it it made me feel very emotional. Is making me feel very emotional yeah. as we're talking about it now. Even like it just, yeah. There there's a humanity in that, and just a very simple way to show how devastating all of the the. the it feels reductive to say shows how devastating and needless war is, yeah. <laughs> but that's how I feel. Like it just it's 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 destroyed everything everybody cares about. <laughs> right. Analytically. Watching this, the thing that hits me is that the ship is going down. There's a hundred men with firearms in front of you, ready to to kill you and your best friend. And the thing that's on Ahsoka's radar, the thing that hits her, is this person in front of me is emotionally struggling right now. And she turns. It just shows, again, shows her quality, shows her emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, it also shows, again, here, here's a part, uh, something I hadn't noticed, but it's with Rex. The attachment side, and we're going to talk all about attachment throughout the Star Wars binge. He's having to detach here. He's, he's, he's amping himself up to kill his brothers, who have been his only family, you know. And he's detaching and emotionally crushed by it. But she removes the helmet. And to go back to Filoni saying the helmets are how we were showing the dehumanized clones versus Ahsoka being the one that removes his helmet. I can't think of another scene where somebody removes somebody else's helmet off the top of my head. So this is fairly unique, if not singular. And she does it in such a loving way such an affectionate way. And again, they're not lovers. This is this is her close close friend. Yeah. It feels familial in the same way that it's I, I would argue it's done better, but it feels familial in the same way that Luke takes off Vader's helmet. There it is. That come on. There it is. That's exact that there that's what I was looking for. If somebody's looking at your eyes, you're unable to hide from them. Yeah. Isn't that what the helmet is? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a obstacle from somebody seeing how, what you what you think and feel. Yep. Which is why he immediately turns away when she takes it off too. I did the deep dive on helmets prior to this because some the I, I want to suggest that a lot of the meaning in this episode is displayed in the helmets. And so let's talk about helmets actually for a minute. Doing the deep dive. Yeah. One of the things I was looking up helmets in film, and nearly two thirds of them are exactly what you're saying. They are protective in nature, not that I'm going to crash and I need to protect my noggin. They're protective in nature in that I don't want you to see my identity, my emotions. They, they are a barrier uh, for, for emotional intimacy. Yeah, it's a mask. It's a mask. <laughs> I wonder how many people are going to try to... We've just said mask, and I wonder how many people are going to try to spin that and be like, see, see, that's why you shouldn't wear them. <laughs> That's the thing. That's actually one of the big struggles here recently with, with 2020. It's not just I can't hug you. I can't read your lips or engage your emotional cues. It's so difficult. Like how how some of the it's uh, I'm I'm so aware now of what's been taken emotionally 
because of this damn virus. And that's exactly one of them. So, yep. But let's talk about helmets. Helmets communicate. Um, do you have, do you have a fa- like, where are some helmets that jump to mind when you think about film? Mine are honestly Star Wars ones, to be perfectly honest. Just there are lots in Star Wars. And just for me, how important these movies are to 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 my life uh-huh. the it's Darth Vader that's if, if you tell me think of the most iconic for me think of the most iconic film helmet yep I would probably think of Darth Vader first and then I would think of a bunch of other star I would think of the stormtrooper helmet mm-hmm. the a, a Boba Fett I guess slash Mandalorian helmet mm-hmm. and then I would maybe go Magneto's helmet which truly protects him not only from from things being shot at him but also protects him from having his mind read and intentions known and then i think to to throw a nod to my 10 year old self maybe uh master shredder's helmet from the Ooh. ninja turtles those are the those are the ones that i think of i like that one and thought about that one yeah the fact the fact that helmets appear all over star wars i i, I feel embarrassed to think that i didn't think about the mandalorian <laughs> his his whole religious identity is wrapped up not only it's it's not just about protection it's this is how i express my spirituality whole identity yeah and my connection to the past and my crew this is the way the stormtroopers are called bucket heads it's like their identity is wrapped up in the helmet <laughs> yeah and then luke's helmet in uh new hope there's the red five helmet yes we see that same helmet being worn by ray in force awakens when she is first introduced she's in there eating and uh wearing you know at least wearing a rebel fighter helmet and identity and identity is you know is all over these it seems to me boba fett's helmet is about there is something about the intimidation factor with boba fett's i read something recently that said all of boba fett's lines prior to the mandalorian could fit in a tweet (laughs) he is communicating a thousand percent through that helmet and he's iconic, you know, because of it. And from just a performance standpoint, all of these people in these films who wear masks, be it David Prowse's Darth mm-hmm. Vader, be it, I'm forgetting the actor who originally portrayed Boba Fett, um, but but all those guys, or, or whether it's Ian McKellen or Michael Fassbender is Magneto, like most of your face is covered. So the fact that these folks can do these performances that communicate so much with the thing that helps you emote your face, specifically your eyes, is mostly covered. I mean, that's yeah. why mask work is so important. Like, if you can convey a character through physical movement, most of your job is done. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Bullock is the Boba Fett. That's actor. right, and he just he just died he, too, and I feel I, I feel bad that I forgot his he name. He died on the day on the day that Boba Fett reappeared in the Mandalorian. I thought that was just crushing when I. It, it truly right? so beautiful. Yeah, apparently, it was a really good dude. The helmets that came to my mind, and we've we'll talk about this film in the future. But the first one that came to my mind was Full Metal Jacket and the helmet that says "Born to Kill" yet has a peace sign on it. Yeah, and what that's trying to symbolize in so many ways—a uh, military instrument with mixed messages and you know everything there. It's just, I think that's really the more I think about that, it's so well done. Uh, Iron Man's helmet. Is is not oh. just the superhero side of things, but that's where he connects with Jarvis, and they actually become something more together. And it's in that helmet, especially with how they decide to film 
those movies with being able yep. to see Downey Jr.'s face interacting with Jarvis. Maximus's helmet in Gladiator. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, is one that pops for me. It's got that. That is a helmet about concealing identity. That's a. That's got a lot of Batman going on. Mm-hmm. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me, slave? Will you remove your helmet and tell me your name? And when I remove this helmet, it's not about protecting my noggin again. When I remove this helmet, I'm going to unleash my identity into the space, and I'm going to tell you who I am. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Loki's helmet popped for me, another superhero one. It's it's the flamboyant nature of that helmet that kind of displays his character, that he's unique, lots of mischief and fun, and yet it's still a helmet. That is a character that wants to protect himself. I would say in, in that same vein, Thor's helmet, which we don't really get to see much of in the films, yep. but in the comics, it's a huge part of that yeah. character, which feels very much the same. It is very performative, but also a helmet. Mm-hmm. Or dramatic, I guess is the word. Thor's helmet reminds me a lot of, I don't know if this was intentional, but stuff we see in Lord of the Rings, especially like the depictions of the earlier Lord of the Rings culture, like the wings you know, on the sides and the rest. Well, and I think, I mean, he's a god, so it has a lot of that, um, what Hermes, the messenger god kind of feel, where it's clearly got wings built into the design of it and, and just that type of, yeah, that type of, of stylistic design. Yeah. The thing about, to push into another comic book character, you mentioned him already, but Magneto's helmet, it's not just that it's protective. Magneto wears that helmet to protect himself from just one man. His best friend. He's not intimidated by anybody, and yet he's wearing that helmet. Yeah, and it's his best friend. So much depth there. I'm, I'm real excited to see where, where uh, they utilize those characters in the future here as uh, we enter new seasons of uh, the MCU. Bringing that to Rex's helmet. Rex's helmet, you'll know, has the J guys, which is a symbol of, this is interesting, I didn't know this before. It's a Mandalorian symbol that is gifted. It's like an award. It's given to those with high amounts of courage. And he's one of the few clones that's received this award. And so he wears it prominently on his helmet. And then of course, you'll notice he's got like tally marks also on the side of his helmet. Just to remind you, Mm -hmm. I've been some places. And seen some stuff. Right? (laughs) But it is. It's just helmets, helmets, helmets in Star Wars. And as you said earlier, the most iconic helmet, perhaps in all of film, we're going to see at the end of this episode. And it'll be the last thing, technically, that we see. Right? And I suppose that's right. I didn't think about that. The very last shot of the Clone Wars is of a broken helmet. (sighs) Okay, let's save that. That's... That's what's worth bringing back up. One last final note, because Rex is going to be a character moving forward who's going to be uh, part of future Star Wars stories in the timeline. I could be mistaken, but I don't think Rex ever wears his helmet again after this moment. Don't 
we see it? Doesn't he leave it on the planet amongst the other helmets? I oh. thought it was one of the last that we see there. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't notice that. Gosh, that would be interesting though if he bailed his helmet, which has so characterized him, and he's moving on. Oh, that's good. I could have sworn it was one of the last helmets you see on a on a yeah. stick before they leave, and it kind of fades to Vader. Man, well, that would be a that would be non attachment. That is like that's rebirth, is what that is. I'm dying with my brothers. I'm I have to become somebody else now. Oh man, I'm gonna look for that. That's good. If I'm wrong, I'm gonna be so disappointed because I could have sworn. That's what it was, but there you go. Uh, Rex says to Ahsoka in response to this emotional moment. So we're just going to surrender, admit defeat. Is that it? No. Well, I don't see any other option. This is a common dichotomy, which is a false dichotomy of we either need to surrender or we need to kill everybody. But uh, this is just <laughs> first tier thinking when it comes to to conflict avoidance, <laughs> and you know. But it's also kind of that absolutes thing that we we briefly mentioned earlier. Yeah. Like the, 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 you cannot in the extremism of like it's either this or it's this. No. Right. You'll know that I think nonviolent solutions are superior and it often is the case that in film nonviolent solutions often elevate the character and the power of the hero in front of us um we're going to routinely bring this up in the podcast but this is a primary for star wars yep luke exercises a nonviolent solution in the redemption of his father who he refuses to kill and there's beauty there there's power there there's galaxy changing effects there oh absolutely we see this being engaged by ahsoka what does creativity have to say in a very difficult situation there may be a, a third way that's all nonviolent, aggressive acts require creativity and should be seen as what is the third way here and that's where she goes i have an idea don't worry it's a good one I think. And she turns to the droids. Can I count on the three of you? Good. I'll explain on the way. And then we cut to Jesse on the hangar floor. And they can all see the moon is getting closer in the big open hangar doors behind them, and they don't <laughs> care at all. <laughs> they are assembled in a line to kill some... Uh, some traders. And this is a good place for us to pause. We're going to pick this one up next week and conclude this introductory arc. Uh, hey, friends, it would mean the world to us if you took two seconds, gave us some stars on iTunes, or hit subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. Uh, you can find all the links to all of our stuff at StarWarsBinge.org. But the best thing you can do is share this episodes or this binge, all these episodes, with somebody that loves a galaxy far, far away. We are available on the Twitter. And big thanks, as always, to my man, Daniel Mothershed. He didn't escape. 
I let him out. And I'm Jeff Cook. You know, I was a numb with a jerk like you. This is how it goes. You want to know why, Daniel? Because this is the way. Because this is the way. This is the way. Boys are having a rough time with it. 